0: Welcome to This Week in Photo.
1: Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com.
2: This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free 14-day trial, go to Squarespace.com slash TWIP, and be sure to check out their annual plans for savings of up to 20% off. This episode of TWiP is brought to you by Hover.com. Hover is domain name registration and management that's simple. For Hover's transfer concierge service, free for our audience, go to Hover.com slash TWiP. This week on TWiP, can you tell the difference between the Las Vegas Statue of Liberty and the real one? Well, if you can, tell the U.S. Post Office. Also, layers in Lightroom and an interview with photographer Matthew Jordan Smith. It's Saturday, April 23rd, 2011, and this is Quip. Welcome back to TWiP, your weekly helping of photographic inspiration. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson, and joining me today on the show are Mr. Alex Lindsay, Richard Harrington, and Derek Story. Hey, guys. Hey, Hey, Frederick. All right. We got got the powerhouse on the show. Uh, Richard, uh, I think you are the one that hasn't been on in the longest amount of time. What have you been up to?
3: I've uh, been keeping busy. Just got done with the National Association of Broadcaster Shows, which was fun, and uh, uh, finishing up a, a new book for people migrating over to Premiere Pro in the video space, but just also started working on a whole bunch of stuff with panoramic and time-lapse photography that I'll be releasing over the summer.
2: Wait a minute. People are migrating to Premiere? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> After I'm kidding. MAD, I'm I kidding. have a lot more, are, actually. <laughs> so I'm just kidding. Seriously, sorry. W. So uh, Premiere, what's what's new in Premiere? Because we seen I've seen the announcements on the new Final Cut Studio that's coming out, and they, it looks like they just erased the whiteboard and came back again. Is this in response to Premiere? You think? No, I don't. I don't think so.
3: I, I think Apple and Adobe are focusing on different sides of the market, and uh, Adobe's been really expanding in the higher end professional space lately. So. Uh, the stuff in 5.5 5 that they just released includes great image stabilization, which will help uh, photographers and DSLR video shooters. Um, there's also really good workflow. Like Red came out and said they thought the Premiere workflow was the best, so for color grading and color management. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's interesting uh, where it's all going, and just you know. Uh, really good, you know, native uh, boosts and speed and things. So it's just been interesting. I've just been um, focusing on. I'm seeing a lot of change both in the photo and the video industry, and I'm just trying to get out there in front of the curve and make sure that people that are maybe looking at new ways of doing things are getting fresh information.
2: You got to be pulling your hair out with with all these changes that continue to happen in because you got a foot in. In still photography and videography, publishing online, pod- podcasting, all this stuff. How do you-
3: I don't sleep? <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's crazy.
3: You're, I'm you're no like- different than Alex, though. So you know, it's all fine.
2: <laughs> I know, I know. And Derek, so Derek, what have you been up to?
0: Uh, I'm getting ready, actually, to go to Florida. I haven't been to Florida for a while. Are but, you retiring?
2: Uh, Is that what's going on?
0: So yeah, <laughs> I'm a, I, I thought you know, I'd try the snowbird thing and see how. <laughs> I guess I'd be an egret though wouldn't okay, I...
2: unless you maybe you're going to South Beach I know how you know you're gonna go get your party on down there that's right
0: <laughs> actually uh, it's not quite that exciting Frederick it's uh it's the uh, birding and photo fest that's gonna be in st. Augustine on uh, April 27th so well uh,
2: if the birding and photo fest is taking place on South Beach then it's a different
0: kind of birding That's, and photo that's fest. right it's just, no th- th- these these aren't those <laughs> okay different kind like of bird vacation. <laughs> I need to get to South Beach I think yeah. <laughs> these are the, the, these are these are birds with beaks, and uh, and uh, you know uh, Arthur Morris and Tim Gray and uh, those guys are going to be there. And actually, I'm going to be uh, going there on Lowpro's behalf. So I'll oh, be very cool. yeah heading out there. So uh, got my gear loaded up and I'm ready to ready to head to Florida.
2: Very cool. All right. And Mr. Alex Lindsay is back on the show. Hey, Alex, what's going on?
1: Hello i am uh, just uh, working on the studio actually we're you know of course uh pixel core has a new studio that we're sharing with leo laporte and twit and uh, and so we're working on that uh, busily we're moving in uh, next we're starting to move in next week and um and uh, we we're, we're kind of starting to finish it and starting to move in all at the same time of course that's the way
2: i'm going. i'm coming up there i'm uh, hopefully tuesday to come see that i'm looking forward to uh
1: It's pretty nifty. I think it's going to be uh, great for the listeners of Twit because we're going to be doing more video and uh, and a lot more training, and so it's going to be going to be a lot of fun.
2: Hey, Alex, I thought about you a couple days ago. I was uh, I was hanging out just once. You know, I was was hanging out in your old stomping grounds over at ILM and Oh, really? The Presidio, yeah. What yeah.
1: were you doing over at ILM? Uh,
2: I was there shooting a, a charity water event. So I was a, they had a bunch of Silicon Valley influencers in there, and they were doing a presentation on charity water and how they should invest and all that. And I was—I uh, shot the event for them. So my my contribution to them was pixels. You know, everybody else gave millions of dollars, but I could give photos. It's pretty. It's a, a pretty place. Of pixels. <laughs> I gave them millions of pixels. Yeah, I could billions. make those all day long.
1: Billions and billions of pixels. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome.
2: Yeah. Good event. All right, uh, Alex. Who is a uh, who's who's sponsoring this week in photo today?
1: We have we have quite a few sponsors here today. Um, our first sponsor is Squarespace.com. So uh, we want to thank, of course, Squarespace. Squarespace is just you know one of the easiest ways that you can get your website up. If you want to do a high quality website, and you want it to be easy to do. So there's hundreds of templates that you can choose from. You can customize them. Uh, you know, it's an all inclusive service, so you don't have to think about uh, you know. Building it, and then how to get it onto the server, and then paying for server fees and everything else—all of that is included. It's all part of the cloud, and uh, and because of that, it can also handle a lot more um, you know, hits. You know, if if you uh, suddenly get popular, uh, you don't have to worry about your, um, you know, your server turning into a little molten pile of metal. <laughs> uh, which which we well, we notice this a lot when you're on Twit because you uh, you know uh, when you're doing Mac break or something. Like that, we you know you, you um, basically what we used to call slash dot sites where you. Um, something shows up and immediately the site disappears oh yeah and so, um, yeah. And so you know things like Squarespace that doesn't happen um, you also have you know you have tons of great things you can bring import and, and most importantly export from WordPress blogger movable type TypePad. so so you've already got one on one of those you want to move it in you can do that if you decide you don't like it later, you can move it back out. Uh, they've got forums and form builders, Flickr photo displays. If you want to put that stuff up, uh, you can have a Twitter widget that shows people what you're talking about. Um, you know, of course, it's got lots of permission access, and and uh, it's all you know, drag and drop. So you don't have to sit there and, and code. You know, you can code if you're if you're if you're that type of person. You can code and uh, have a lot of control over it, or you can uh, do it all you know by hand. If you look at like, for instance, uh, both. Uh, Oh DB Garage, for instance is a, is a, is an example uh, dbgarage.com uh, one of my sites uh, is all done in squarespace and it's got e-commerce built into it and it's got a bunch of other things into it and that was all hand coded my site which is bordersack.com for instance is uh, all done without any code <laughs> I don't I don't do web code <laughs> so um and so uh, so it was all done just drag and drop and put together and so uh you know both options are are yours now if you uh there's there is a um, you can get a uh, you know free fourteen day trial. Of course, you can you can show up for that. You can go month to month with uh, no commitment. Uh, you can get ten percent off uh, for if you if you buy in for one year, and twenty percent off if you buy in for two years. After, of course, the free trials. Um, so if you want to try this, you don't have to believe me that it's a good good service. You can go up and try it. You can get a fourteen day account by going to squarespace.com/twip. That's squarespace.com/twip. You don't need a credit card. Uh, And you can try it out. And after that, you can check out one of their plans to get up to 20% off. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash TWIP.
2: Awesome. All right. Thanks a lot, Alex. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, This first story that we're going to talk about, guys, um, I don't know quite what to make of it. (laughs) But apparently, uh, the U.S. Postal Service, you know, as we know, they make interesting stamps from time to time. Apparently they used the wrong image on a stamp that they created and went on to um create a bunch of stamps from this in and, and basically a bunch a bunch a bunch, a uh, bunch. How, how many a is a, a bunch? 3 billion 3 billion stamps of <laughs> not your ta- three million, your tax dollars 3000
1: not 3 000, not three, <laughs> 3 billion What was on the stamp Alex? It was a is a picture of the replica of the Statue of Liberty in front of the New York New York Hotel in Las <laughs> Vegas. That's okay. That's awesome. I have pictures of
2: that,
3: too. They should
1: use mine. You know, I have to to say there have been times in Las Vegas where I have mistaken the Statue of Liberty in front of New York, New York, for the real thing.
2: (laughs) That's awesome. It's like, dude, how did I get into New York? Richard. 5 a.m. Richard Harrington. how How did they make this mistake? I mean, like, seriously, put yourself inside the back offices of the USPS, and they're going through all these images that they could possibly use on a stamp, and someone says, this is it. You know, how they they, how they, they, went a
3: sto- they went to a stock photo website. They type in Statue of Liberty. They do a search. And, you know, like most people who are, you know, underemployed, overemployed, underpaid, they just, you know, oh, that one looks pretty. And they picked it. They never bothered to look at the metadata. You know, the metadata is buried on the page. And they just went with what looked good. And, you know, hey, let's face it, it was built. You know, more modern than the other one, so it probably looked better
0: in the picture. And yeah. actually, it does look good on the stamp. That's what I
2: was
3: going to say. I mean, yeah, I think a, they should
0: just roll nice, with the stamp. They should roll it's a, with it's this a PR photo <laughs> illustration.
2: They should roll with it and say, you know what? Hey, you know, this is now, a, these three, three billion stamps are collector's editions because, you know, they're unique.
3: <laughs> is, is it like the upside airplane stamp they did that one time?
2: Yeah. Or, you know, hey, this was. The, the the fake Statue of Liberty was created in the United States of America, so it is part of America, you know. And Vegas, it's famous, so why not just keep it? You know, make it the Vegas stamp.
3: Well the thing is, is like I if you look at the original image that they chose, which is a very interesting crop, mind you, it is on the page. It does say that this was taken in Las Vegas and it is a replica. Of course, that's below the fold, so you'd have to actually scroll your monitor to see it.
2: <laughs> uh oh. That's that's extra. <laughs> <laughs> Derek, Derek, what what happened here? And uh, should they retrieve all these stamps, or should they just let them fly?
0: Well, I mean, it's the spirit of, uh, of the thing to begin with, right? Statue of Liberty, it's a symbol. It's a, it's a very important symbol to us. And, you know, I think the spirit of the thing is still there. I just think it's it's kind of fun because it speaks to the times that we're in right now. You know, these, these we've just got millions of photos floating about and uh, stock agencies and people are going 100 miles an hour. And, and like Richard said, you know, uh, overworked, uh, underpaid, and uh, that looks good. And boom, boom. Go with it, and boom! This is what you get. So I think it, in a, in a way, it, it, it shows us a, a bigger picture
1: of just how we're doing business in general, and, well, and how I think these also, things happen I think it, all the time. I think one of the other issues is that the that the the, the Las Vegas version actually looks better than the real thing. I think, <laughs> it's, it's you know, certainly I think newer. newer is, isn't it, is, it's, it's also talking about s- the, the, the day of the age. You know, the, the, the this is a, a note of the age. Is that is that we can look at this going? Well, we picked the one that was prettier.
0: We did, yeah. The eyes are particularly the 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 original Statue of Liberty. The eyes, you know, are a little kind of hollow, and this is also thing. looking a little old too. I mean, the biggest
3: yeah. well, well, one. Let's face it. If we, if we went to the real Statue of Liberty as a photographer with a camera, you would have been chased off the island or locked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true.
4: I don't
2: know. No, I mean that's like one of. I mean, is that true? Because that's one of the most popular tourist attractions in the world. All I'm right? saying
3: is, it seems anywhere. I was being trite, but anywhere yeah. I go with a the camera these days, they're like are you are you supposed to be here with that camera yeah yes
0: it's fine leave me alone yeah yeah you have to shoot it from the boat uh you know it's the easier shot but i you know uh and i could be all totally wrong about this but uh i i find a little humor in it and uh you know I, i think it's sort of interesting and i think the stamp looks great and uh i'm just glad i'm not
1: the guy that made the mistake
2: I know.
1: That's sad. <laughs> it is a great looking stamp. I I it is a great it, I was trying to remember the last time I used a stamp. I mean, yeah. I, I think I it know. was like two thousand five. You have people for that. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> well I mean we it's just that everything's so electronic or FedEx. You know, those are kind of the that's of course that's their problem, right? Yeah.
4: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I don't know. Um I'll tell you the last time I used a stamp was I had something shipped to me. I guess it wasn't actually a stamp, but On on a previous show, we talked about Postagram, and uh, they're the the service that hooks into your Instagram feed and lets you order prints from it, and I ordered one, and it came, and uh, it's actually really cool. I'm looking at it right now. It is really, really cool. I'm going to be ordering these things all the time. The only problem with their service was they don't strangely enough integrate with the address book in your phone so you have to type in addresses (laughs) every single time you want to send one until until the latest release so they updated i think it was yesterday or the day before and miraculously miraculously added uh integration with the address book so now i will be using it so yeah you guys should check it out it's actually really really cool Alright, uh, next story up, story number two. This one I really wanted to dive into, especially with both of you guys, Richard and, uh, and Derek and Alex as well, because you're, you're knee deep in this stuff as well. But On One Software, they're the guys that make a bunch of cool plugins for Photoshop and Lightroom and Aperture and all this stuff. But they've created, they released a new piece of software called Perfect Layers that, and I haven't tried this yet, of course, but it adds the ability to, work with layers in Lightroom. Now, if, you, if you're a Lightroom user, you know that it's a one image at a time, or you can spread um, settings or, or apply settings to multiple images at a time. But generally, you're, you're manipulating one image at a time, not stacked images like you can in Photoshop, which lets you do layers and masking and all that cool magic stuff. Apparently, Perfect Layers gives you the ability to easily create and work with these layered files. All right, let's throw it to uh, Mr. Derek Storey. First, is have you looked at this, Derek? And, yeah. And yeah. what what do you think? Is this going to change the way? Can I can I throw away Photoshop now and just work directly <sighs> in Lightroom?
0: I mean, uh, wow, wow, wow is where I start with this. I mean, these guys these guys have been on a roll anyway. I think. And uh, by the way, this is a, a public preview that, that's out right now, and it's not just for Lightroom. Uh, when the 1.0 comes out, it's also going to be for Aperture. And uh, and then Bridge also. So yeah. this is this is going across all the major non-destructive photo apps that you're going to be able to uh, import layered documents that you already have and then do fun little layered things uh, right within your or Lightroom environment. Like, what, and, for
2: example, what? What's a fun little layered thing that, that an advanced amateur photographer that knows how to use Lightroom, what are they going to need this for?
0: Well, I mean, one, one thing that I do all the time that I like layers for is just uh, take two different exposures of uh you know, of a of, of, let's say a landscape or something, and then uh, put them together in a layered document, and then pick the parts of the scene that I that I want, and you know, you end up. It's like you know, simple HDR kind of thing, but that ability to work with two different documents all the time. And then the other thing too, is when you're doing work, uh, let's say even portrait work or something, and you have a layered document, let's say on one layer you're doing a little skin softening, another layer you're doing some, uh, maybe sharpening on the eyes and so forth. And the person that you show it to goes, Oh, I like it, but that skin's a little too soft. You know, it doesn't quite look like me. You just go to that layer and, uh, you know, you, you, Back it off a little bit, and mm-hmm. then you do another output and and hand it off to them. It's it's a very convenient way to be able to kind of go back and continue to work the photo based on either your your changes, you know, things that you see or that other people give you feedback on. So it's not just this this complicated fancy thing. It, uh, layers are very practical.
2: Yeah. So Richard Richard Harrington. So this feature, you know, adding this to non destructive. Image editors like Lightroom and Aperture, etc. Is this a plugin that is going to live on forever, or is this just a preview of what these manufacturers like Adobe and Apple are going to obviously add to the software later?
3: I think this is total feature bloat. Um, you know, I think people are losing sight of why programs like Aperture and Lightroom were invented, which was to streamline the process. You know. You're looking at this and the price point for this thing is going to be what? 179, 149, mm-hmm. I think it said. Yeah, you 150. Know, if I if I need a layered image editor and I'm a photographer on a budget, I can get Photoshop Elements for $79 and right out of all those apps I could send to it. You know, right from Aperture I could set Photoshop elements to be my external image yeah. editor. With a right click, I'm in there. I've got layers. I close it. It's back in my Aperture library. Yeah. Same thing with iPhoto, you know. You've already got that ability within Lightroom to edit in Photoshop. You could send a Photoshop element. So I mean, why spend $150 on a product when you've got much more feature-rich, layer-based editors out there that do more, that have longer history, more documentation, more training. It just seems to me like this typical phenomenon we see of oh, you know what, I really like my screwdriver and I'm going to use it to hammer the lid shut on the paint can because I can't be bothered to go get the hammer out of the toolbox. Use the tool for what it's designed for. These are fast programs for doing quick adjustments on several images. I think what it is is that you know a lot of people who used Photoshop for a really long time Fell in love with the Lightroom user interface and the experience of being in there, and they like it. And it just, it's lazy. People, it's just like the same problem with suites. People, you know, you see things pop up in suites all the time when there's better tools in the suite. Why does Photoshop have vector tools when Illustrator is so much better? Well, we give you the bare basics of vector tools so you have them and you don't have to leave Photoshop. How about we just make the vector tools better and you switch to Illustrator when but, you need vector tools? So, yeah. <laughs> but isn't
2: that but, one of the problems that – why Lightroom was created? So Lightroom was created because photographers don't need all the crap that's in Photoshop. They just need so a very you, select piece of it. But now can it be that that's growing? you need
3: layers for $79, go to Photoshop Elements. I mean it does photo merge. It does all these great features that you
0: need. Yeah. Well, Panoramics. I, I, I you know I I rarely disagree with Richard, but I I do this time on this particular feature because, for instance, uh, you know I use Aperture a lot, and the uh, the whole round trip mechanism in Aperture three to the latest version of Elements is has been broken. It doesn't it doesn't work very well, and it's not a, what I consider a pleasurable experience. Uh, whereas if I had a plug-in that did this one thing that I that I wanted to do that I could choose to use or not use, uh, I don't think it is feature bullet. I think it's it's something handy that you have right there. So uh, I, I I don't I don't go along with that. I I actually really like it.
2: Alex Lindsay, where where do you fall on this? We got two two sides of the story here. Where where are you at?
1: You know, I, I think that uh, I don't I don't use Lightroom a lot. So, I have to say that this is you know I'm kind of looking at it from a from an aperture user perspective, mm-hmm. but it'll work uh, with aperture as well yeah, yeah now for for from ap, from an aperture perspective, I, I love having layers <laughs> so so um the or I, you know I don't really want a round trip out when I'm going through images quickly. so if I'm going through one image that I really want to clean up, I'm going to take that into Photoshop, and Photoshop elements make sense um, typically what what happens with me is that as soon as I finish shooting, um, uh, just about anything. I end up in Aperture and I go through and I clean everything up, uh, at least do a first round of it and decide what I'm going to keep and not keep uh, fairly quickly. And round tripping stuff for everything uh, would would be painful. So I have to say that, you know, I, I hate to say this, but I would say both. I, I mean, I want to have an external editor that's going to give me more tools when I really need to clean something up um uh, but i really do like having plugins that are inside there that i can do most of the cleanup with um if i'm going to do heavy duty work i'm not going to use this you know if i'm going to do heavy duty work i'm going to go into photoshop
2: yeah and i there, i, I there tend were, to fall was... somewhere kind of kind of in that in line with what you said alex cuz i I think that one of the things that keeps me going into Photoshop from time to time is the layers piece of it. So I would love to have an implementation of layers inside yeah, of for Lightroom. Me it's,
1: I guess for me it's it's the layers and channel operations and you know a ton of other tools. I don't need that are, all that. I don't, I don't if, if, so if so I'm gonna not.
2: if I'm gonna do like full on deep surgery where I need to suit up, then I'm gonna go into Photoshop.
1: But Right. And so that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like for, for deep surgery, I'm I'm gonna go into Photoshop. For light stuff, I like ha- I, I love the idea of having something that is in that's built in that I can just go ahead and
3: yeah. The, the product, the product looks well designed. I mean, the folks that they had from Nap work on it. You know, I respect, and there's good input there for the features. But it seems to me like if you're buying this instead of buying Photoshop, I don't know if you, you know, if you use both apps and you're looking for some middle ground so you don't have to always hand off, then I could see that. But, you know, I just question, like, you know, I guess I would say if you own both apps and you want some middle ground and $150 is reasonable to you, go for it. But if you're buying this instead of Photoshop, you know, I think a lot of people's egos get in the way of Photoshop Elements and they don't realize how much that app does at $79. Yeah.
1: yeah, Photoshop Elements, if you're not, if you don't have Photoshop and you don't know if you can afford it or it doesn't make sense to spend $700, I mean, Photoshop Elements is a pretty amazing value.
2: Yeah, it it is pretty amazing. It's, uh, I think Photoshop Elements hits... I don't, you know, without, without citing any firm numbers, it's got to hit maybe 80% of what most photographers need, at least, you know, and with, with a lot more crap in there that people don't even know about, like all the panoramic stitching and all that magic.
0: All, well, built all, in. all that magic is what I think makes it so valuable, because all those merging, te- they put all the merging technologies in there, and so then it's a, it, it is a steal. I totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah.
2: So are you going to, Derek, are you going to rush out and purchase this when it's available, the layers
0: in Lightroom? um i'm probably gonna call perfect, them and, and ask layers, them to send layers. me a send me a copy and test it <laughs> <laughs> therein lies the truth
1: <laughs> yeah I have
0: to be honest about this frederick cast
1: <laughs> wait wait let
2: me let me let me rewind that so if you didn't have a relationship with on one software you didn't know them um and they wouldn't send you one would you purchase this to use in your wedding workflow
0: uh, I would try the preview, and if I liked it, uh, I would buy it actually. You would buy it. Okay. Yeah, 150 is within my zone.
2: Richard right. Harrington, I think I know the answer, but would you add this to your workflow?
3: No, I, I try to minimize the use of plugins where I can. Uh, I, I think a lot of times people give up a lot of speed for what's already built in. I do use plugins, I do like plugins, I like some of on-one stuff. I'm not saying it's a bad idea, I just think for $150, I could do more with that money somewhere else.
2: Yeah, and Alex Lindsay. What about you? Are you gonna are you gonna pony down and get this?
1: Yeah, once <laughs> once it's available on on uh, Aperture. Awesome. But That's I, I Alex, don't like I don't like do, round trips. You
2: get one of everything. So.
1: <laughs> Alex owns I everything. I get a <laughs> lot. I, I do get a lot of stuff. Well, they, they, but the thing is is that for me, round tripping. You know, I have this whole thing about um, time and money, and I calculate time a lot. You know, in, into like how how much things cost, and so if it saves me literally like ten minutes of you know, or, or if it saves me 10 minutes a week, it doesn't take very long for me to add up to it's worth having it.
2: Now, we, we, scratched, on, we scratched on the surface a little bit, Richard. And I'm, I'm curious what your workflow is. Like, I know, you do, I know you do a myriad of different things, but specifically with photography, if you are out and you capture an image and it's not for a client, it's for you, and, yeah. and you want to you perfect it because you're going to share it out on your blog or on Twitter or whatever, what do you, what do, you do? I mean, what, what's your flow? I
3: use Aperture for the most part, um, and if I get it where I want it, there I stop. Um, you know that's usually good enough for most sharing. Uh, most of the adjustments I need. I like the brush engine in there. If I find that I do, you know, need channel operations or I'm going to start to do compositing, then I'll just right click and send that over to Photoshop. Uh, I use Photoshop Extended, but you know that's more for some of the video features. So I mean, you know, I, I use what's in regular Photoshop as well. Uh, if I am doing a panoramic or an HDR, uh, I typically go right to Photoshop and use their merging technology. I have dabbled a little bit with HDR with the new stuff from Nick and I like it if I'm going for a stylized effect. Um, But for standard HDR, the new HDR Merge Pro, I'm very happy with. uh, And I love Photoshop's panorama tools. I use those all the time. And so that I'll go direct. But if it's a single image, uh, I'm probably doing it 85% of the time in aperture. Uh, until I get to that fine finishing, and then it still hits Photoshop uh, once it sort of goes to that next level. If it's for me, it's usually done at the 85%, but if it's for a client, or if it's a gift, then I'll take it that extra 15% of the way.
2: Well, you mentioned channel operations, and I very rarely hear photographers mention channel operations these days. Um, It's layers or, you know, HBO it's a lost art it's a channel lost shops. art yeah you remember kai Krauss and and all or that david stuff Biedny. that he used to do yeah exactly yeah, d- yeah. david
3: and burt's book was the best book i ever read on photoshop i mean you, can't well, you gotta read it, it
2: like three times but
1: yeah you i you, think you can now yes. buy it for like four hundred dollars or something or do they... it,
3: it seriously yeah it sells for like that much on amazon i have yeah. a copy i had to explain to my staff that it didn't leave my office yeah
2: so. so richard what for the people who are like channel operations what the hell explain what channel operations are and how they can it, benefit a photographer
3: it's things like the calculations command for making selections. It's going in when you're color correcting and doing your color correction a channel at a time. Um, part of that comes from the fact that I do have a video background and, and the way that colorists and folks think, you know, we're used to looking at things like waveforms and vector scopes. And, you know, I, I learned how to pick up color casts a long time. I think a lot of people in Photoshop make selections doing things like using selection tools based on color or, you know, magic wand type tools. And then they apply, uh, you know, adjustment layers that then pull things the opposite way, but you get more, processing of the image than you need. If you just went into a channel layer and a lot of times just balanced out the the image details at a channel level, you could do less processing of the image because you're only processing a third of the channels and get the color correction you needed without introducing new problems by sort of trying to make global wax. It's the idea of, you know, using a pocket knife to whittle away at something instead of a hatchet.
2: Yeah, I love that. I love that. Derek, what what about you? Are you you ever find yourself messing with channels or are you you know, you just kind of pull away from
0: that? No, I don't I don't work with channels much, but uh they are powerful and uh I think Richard's right in terms of, you know, a lot of times you only need to work on a third third of the image, not not all three channels. So, they're they're great for that. But more and more in in the selection tools and the brush engine and aperture and Lightroom uh, can can do what I need to do, or I just work with uh you know look at the red, uh, green or blue uh, channel in, in levels or whatever. and If one of them's out of whack, just correct that a little bit. So most of the time, I can get away with doing the simple stuff. Yeah. Well, when you're doing that, you are making a channel
3: operation. You just didn't look at
0: the channels panel.
3: You know, you exactly. isolated it to one channel by exactly. doing that. Exactly. Exactly
2: now what about you alex are you are you a channel fiend or are you i a, am
1: i've you? been all right well i i use channels in 2.5 and we didn't have layers uh, i remember 2.5 so, yeah. yeah so uh <laughs> that was my so, first
0: that was my first photoshop
1: yeah my uh, my first was 2.0 and 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 then in 2.5 uh we had you know and and so 3.0 had layers which was very exciting it's like right where lightroom is today so anyway but um uh, but the uh, I I we I do a lot of channel work. Um, and to but do, but what do you what do you do?
2: What, like what what's channel work? Like is it okay, color so, correcting
1: so or what? I, I I color correct via channels oftentimes. So one 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 thing that you can do, um, uh, one cheat for instance is if you're compositing a foreground element to the background element, you want to make sure that the foreground element matches the background element. Yeah. You can go into each channel, for instance, and so you can go into the red channel and look at only how that foreground element looks over the background in the red channel and then match those up. Then go into the green channel and do the same thing, and then go into the blue channel and do the same thing. And then you, you'll get them into the same space, you know, sometimes a little bit faster than, um, and more accurately because you're not being uh, distracted by all the other stuff. But also a lot of times, you know, when you're pulling an extraction, when you're trying to grab someone's hair or someone's, uh, you know, a certain object and pull it out of the scene, the color information may not key perfectly well and it may not be able you may not be able to find something, but if you do certain things uh, with the channel. So for instance, you might find that it's really bright in the red channel, so you'll duplicate the red channel, then you'll increase the contrast a little bit, and then you'll use dodge and burn tools to kind of push back certain areas around that object and pull out the uh, foreground and you kinda you kinda coax a, a mat out of that that then you can then use to extract your object. And um, you know I and, and, and I'm still I would say, uh, you know, I've, I've been doing it 15 years, but I, I or or more than that, I'm getting old. 20 years. So, um, uh, I would say that even I am still pretty pretty straightforward. We, we have uh, uh, McKay Hawks, who are, who's going to be building a bunch of training for us. Who does does this kind of work for um, uh, big, uh, you know, pre-press houses that work for ad agencies. Yep. And and uh, so he, I have to admit, he's. I'm previewing some of his uh, training for DV Garage, and it's. It's insane. Like it's like you don't even know that the channels could do that. <laughs> I love that. You know, so so you know what, one, And once you see what's possible, uh, then you then you want you want to have access to all of that all the time. You so know,
2: Alex. So so if you if, if a photographer's listening, he's like, okay, I got all this stuff to learn. I got to learn layers. I got to learn channels. I got to learn masking. How would you rank that stuff? What's first? What if, if they wanted to like really shore up their foundation of knowledge and how to make Photoshop do backflips? Should they should they focus Photoshop on layers, or, channels, or general
1: or general posts?
2: I'm, I'm thinking Photoshop, like Photoshop in general. Yeah. Photoshop if they want to become a Photoshop ninja of masking, and I know these are all related, but masking layers and channels. Which one should they f- like set their sights on?
1: Uh, they're all kind of related, but I would say masking is the first thing that you want to get good at. And you want to learn how to use, you know, you want to know how to do all the different, t- you want to take advantage of all the tools that are at your disposal. So you want to learn, uh, the, I, um, you want to learn how to do, you know, how the curves, you know, how the um, little pen tool works. <laughs> pen tool is a very powerful tool. Um, you want to learn how the pen tool works, how the extract features work within Photoshop, how the, how the, how uh, how all there's like five or six different ways or no, there's probably more than that. there's 10 different ways or 12 different ways of pulling a mat um and what i mean by pulling a mat is extracting uh an uh an element out of a scene you want to know what all of those are and you want to get kind of comfortable with all of them uh it, it, it you can literally do that over a weekend yeah. and the point is is that you get comfortable with them all and you realize that all of them are a tool set when you when you get a screw you're not going to you're not going to try to drive it in with a hammer. You're going to use a screwdriver. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And so, so the idea is, is that all of these are, are different tools in your toolbox, and they're all useful in different, in different times. And, and the key is to get comfortable with them enough so that you don't keep on using your hammer for screws, um, which is what a lot of people do with Photoshop. You know, they know how to do one thing, so they just do, use that over and over and over again, and it's not necessarily the most uh, elegant way of handling that situation.
3: So Derek, I'm, a, I'm a selection junkie. If you just go to iTunes and you type in the Understanding Photoshop Show, I've yeah. done one or more episodes on every major selection technique. They're all free. So really? I, so, selection,
2: so learning, learning how, to, how to wield selections is the most important, yeah. in your opinion?
3: I, I think that I think that's really you know if you if you can't accurately select it you can't adjust it so it does nothing else you do you know you get bad halos you see bad blurring where people it looks fake bad compositing you know it all comes down to you can't just look at a picture and say oh select the bear you know you got to get in there and get the fine tools and the fine edges I mean the refined aren't, aren't there plug
2: aren't there plugin tools that will do that for you where you can say hey here's Richard in you know, a you, scene you know, in front of a forest I just want Richard and
4: pop Richard you, out.
3: You, you, you don't really – I mean, the the refined mask and refined selection tools in the current versions of Photoshop that started back in CS4 and then what they updated in CS5 are amazing. I mean, I looked at some of those third-party ones and in the past. You needed them. But the technology that there is there now is great. And then if you combine that with some simple channel operations for things like hair, you can get wherever you need to.
2: Yeah, Derek, what about you? If you were to rank these, you know, masking layers, channels, even though they're all interrelated – where, uh, where should where should I focus my time on to become a ninja in Photoshop?
0: Well, I, I mean, the first thing I'd say is, do you need to become a ninja in Photoshop? Mm. And, and, you know, so I, I would back off there a little bit. I think, uh, you, for instance, uh, I think both Richard and Alex do a lot more posts than I do. So I'm shooting more photojournalistic style i'm shooting more event stuff and i don't i don't go in there and i don't do a lot of masking i don't do you a lot also of shoot that. better than i do so it's okay <laughs> and, and I, it's true i do focus on trying to get it in the in the camera too <laughs> but uh you know i love we, that
2: derek is like yeah it's true i do shoot better than <laughs> you do <laughs> it's
3: okay it's awesome he's got more gray hair it's okay <laughs>
2: <laughs> Derek, Derek is a little I, taller. I, he has a higher I, point of view.
0: That's sort of like what Moose was saying last week, which is uh, a lot of times if I find myself fiddling with a shot, remember, I'm not doing a deliverable for – uh, an album cover for a client right i mean th- this is where you really get into the you know that sort of thing or we have client or an art director that has specific needs i'm not doing that i'm saying this is the shot and you know here it is uh, kind of thing and so i'm more in what moose was talking about last week which is if i get two three minutes into the shot and i find that uh, you know i'm really at odds with it in post then i probably think i i didn't capture it as well as i should have
1: well, and, and I have to say that probably 90% of my corrections that I do for my, uh, for my photos are all done in aperture. You're know, like, I don't, you know, 90, 95%. I mean, I really don't do that much work. I mean, for most. And I shoot a lot of, you know, shoot probably four or 500 images a, a week. Wow. And, um, and uh, of the ones that I keep, <laughs> I shoot 400, 500, there's probably 50 to 100 that I, that, that I give some level of stars. Like if I don't give stars to it, when I import it, like, you know, right after I import it, I go through them all. And I, if I don't give them stars, I'll never see them again. Like they're in. They're in some kind of, they're in storage. But I'm not going to go back. Um, and then if I, but of those ones, when I correct them, I very rarely, you know, I take them into Photoshop. You know, probably you know, it's a, maybe five out of a hundred.
2: All right, all right, guys. Let's uh, let's jump into a, a, a special treat that we have. Um, we've got an interview with Matthew Jordan Smith. And uh, Matthew Jordan Smith has worked with A-list celebrities such as Oprah. Jennifer Connelly, Halle Berry, Britney Spears, Mandy Moore, Jamie Foxx, and the list goes on and on. He's appeared on the Tyra Banks Show, E! Entertainment, America's Next Top Model, Good Day New York, and he's all over the place. So uh, TWIP's Director of Content Bruce Clark sat down with Matthew at a photography conference up in Canada um, to pick his brain about all things photography. So let's give a listen to that interview now.
5: All right. Well, I'm here with uh, Matthew Jordan-Smith. And, How are you doing, uh, I'm good, you? I'm doing very good. Excellent. Well, welcome to this week in photo. I appreciate you taking some time and sitting down to talk to our audience today.
6: It's good being here yeah. in, in Banff,
5: Canada. In Banff, yeah. We're here at the uh, PPOC National uh, Conference, a uh, uh-huh. Canadian Imaging Conference, and uh, in the beautiful, majestic uh, Rocky Mountains, and a little snowy out here today, but just a little, just a little. Yeah. It's been
6: snowing uh, all day yesterday, and and,
5: and still now I'm coming down just a little bit. But it's beautiful. Yeah, is, is it your first time coming? First to Banff? time
6: being at Banff, and first time ever in my life seeing snow like this in April.
5: <laughs> yeah, it's a little unusual, but uh, good for the skiers. They yeah, absolutely, it,
4: so. absolutely.
5: That's great. So for the for the folks maybe that don't know you or aren't familiar with Matthew Jordan Smith, give me the give me the elevator speech of uh, Matthew <laughs> Jordan Smith. Tell me a little bit about.
4: Uh,
6: I've been I've been a photographer. For 25 years Um, spent most of my career in New York City um, doing a lot of commercial work uh, in advertising um, for L'Oreal, Pantene, Olay and shooting a lot of celebrities like uh, Vanessa Williams, Oprah God, you, you name it. Britney Spears, uh, Mandy Moore. This goes on and on and on. Uh, she's a little bit of everybody. Oh, that's great. But I love photography, first and foremost. And, How did you uh, get into photography? My dad, he gave me a camera when I was a kid. Yeah. And it, it snowballed, which is apropos for today. Yeah. <laughs> it, it snowballed, and everything just kind of took over from there. My, my father gave me a camera, and he, he turned one of the bathrooms into a makeshift darkroom and I saw my first pictures come up that way. It was incredible. And I, I fell in love with photography, and I still love photography today.
5: Oh, wow, so you you're filling up the sink in the bathtub yeah, with Dectol I, and... exactly, <laughs> you know, exactly. <laughs> that's
6: great. D-76. And <laughs>
5: wow, that's great. So that's sort of where you got started. Where, how did, what propelled you into kind of the world of professional photography?
6: I went, after, after high school, I went to art school in Atlanta then after art school, I went to New York and I worked as a photo assistant. Um, I had a professor in art school who mentioned about the best photographers in the world um, working in New York, Paris, and London if I want to be in that crowd to go there. So I went to New York and I worked as a photo assistant to some great photographers. Um, one in particular is this guy named Neil Barr. And Neil Barr was an assistant to Irving Penn. And Everything I learned about lighting, I learned through that Neil Bar slash Irving Penn School of Lighting, and it was incredible. And it taught me how to see light, how to use it, how to manipulate it, um, how to really master one light. Um, that's probably the base for my career.
5: That's great. You talked a little bit about that this morning in your session about mastering that that one light. Absolutely. And I think a, a lot of times we can get caught up in too much gear and we more all gear, more gear than we know what to do with. So, what would your advice be to to any photographer, any level? You know, we have a wide audience from professionals to amateurs um, who listen to the show. So, what would be your advice to somebody that's maybe uh, either just starting out or maybe been shooting for a little while when it comes to that mastering that one light?
6: The first thing is to start by using. If you have ten lights, put nine of them away, okay. <laughs> and really get to master that one light, and and figure out ten different ways you can use it. At, I There are fifty ways to use one light, because I've, I've done it so long, but find ten ways to use one light, and when you stop and think about how to really master light, you'll learn so much about your light, you'll learn about the quality of light that you like, and then how to manipulate light to give you a small change that makes a big difference in your work.
5: So, what uh, what would be some examples of some different ways? Uh, maybe throw a few to use examples. One light. Yeah, to use one light. What are some different things they could do with one light.
6: One that I use a lot is by having my main light, my one light, behind my subject and lighting them from behind, like like you see somebody on a beach with the sun behind them, so they're backlit. So I'll backlight my subject, and then in the front I'll have a little handheld mirror with gaffer tape over the mirror, except for one little sliver of light coming through and bounce that light in their eye. It's beautiful, it's, it's classic, it's timeless. And my clients have loved it for the past 10 years and always ask me to do that over and over and over again.
5: Yeah, you showed some examples this morning and it looked amazing and I was, you know, <laughs> couldn't believe that it was just a you know a $3 mirror with Nobody some gaffer tape. Nobody believes it
6: when they see it, they're like, no. But I, I do it in class, I show people how to do it all the time and they're always blown away. But that's just one way and um, when I worked for Neil Barr, uh, he, came from, again, he came from the Irving Penn School of Light, and I worked for him for a year. This was back in the 80s when I was an assistant. And Neil used one light for all these big campaigns he was doing. And he'd have different cutters and scrims and flags to block the light and cut the light, but it was one light. And I learned the, the I guess how to master it, and how to see light differently. Before, I think I had to, like have four and five lights to make this light, but Neil did it with one light, and I was so impressed by seeing that, and it taught me a lot.
5: Do you work a lot with um, with mainly with strobes, or do you use video lights, uh, or do you use uh, you know portable flash units? What, I uh, use
6: everything under the sun. Uh, some days I'm using a a big constant source like an HMI or a Kino flow light, or or even like my first, my first covers in my career, I shot with a $200 uh, low DP light okay. at the time. It's probably a little more than that now, but back in the 80s it was like 200 bucks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I used strobes, I use, I use, I've used everything out there. From uh, back in, when I was an assistant, I used you know uh, Dynalites right. and Comments and, and, and Speedatrons. Mm-hmm. Now, by the last 15 years, I've used only Profoto. And, uh, and I love those strobes a lot. Yeah. So all my strobes now, Pro Photo. um, I still use KinoFlows, I still use HMIs. I still use my low DP light.
4: Yeah.
5: Excellent. Great. Um, When you're sort of out in the out in the field, you you do a mixture, right, of studio work and uh, work on on location. Absolutely. Um, What's your sort of typical? uh, What do you bring with you when you're out doing a location shoot versus a studio shoot? Because I'd imagine it's probably a little bit different.
6: It's night and day. It's night and day. it's funny because people try to put you in a in a, in a box and say, "Oh, you shoot in studio. Oh, you shoot location." I love photography, and um, when people ask, "What do I do?" I never say I'm a celebrity photographer or fashion photographer. I can say I'm a photographer because I love photography, um, and same thing with location or studio. I love shooting, and I love shooting on location as much as studio. Um, when I'm shooting on location. I usually bring the kitchen sink. (laughs) (laughs) Everything, which means I bring everything, uh, because I want to be prepared for any situation. Um, One thing that's always with me on location is my Magnum reflector with uh, my um, Profoto 7B pack. That's a standard that's with me all the time. Um, Reflectors with me all the time. Black flags always with me, even on location, all the time. Those are the standards and then I bring a lot of gear as well (laughs) because you never know what's going to happen on location.
5: Sure. Yeah, that's great. Um, Talk a little bit about, uh, you shared some advice and some tips um, this morning just on opposites, and, and, and sort of how Absolutely. to show your work. Maybe talk a little bit, uh, sort of getting, getting away from gear, and let's move a little more into the, the creativity and, and inspiration, and, and you talked a lot about opposites um, in photography. Tell, tell us a little bit about that.
6: Because I think, I mean, we, we spend so much time talking about taking the picture and how you get a great picture, but what after that, what's the next step after you have these great pictures? How do you show them? And there's a language that every magazine, every editor out there in the world speaks that we all need to know about. And that's the language of opposites. If you look through any editorial in a magazine, you'll see this language being spoken from page to page. And if you open a magazine, you'll have left page and right page. And look through your favorite magazine. It doesn't matter if it's a, a fashion magazine or a sports magazine or National Geographic or interior design magazine. But if it's designed nicely, it speaks this language of opposites where you'll have a big image next to a small image, or you'll have action against still, or black and white against color, or bright colors against muted colors. It's always this opposite thing going on. And this helps you see a page, see a story better. So as you turn around, turn to the magazine, it's flowing much better. And it makes your picture stand out this way. So as you're showing your images on your website, or in your portfolio, or on your iPad, if you show your images in this fashion, people get it better, it makes a bigger impact.
5: So you always consciously have that in the back of your mind when you're doing a shoot of, of the Absolutely. idea of the opposites. I'm
6: thinking about how people are going to see the images as well. So it helps me as I shoot as well. Because now, before I was doing uh, pictures where I just shoot an image and just thinking about the one image, now I think about the entire story um, and how it will be displayed. So I'll shoot an image tight. Then I'll shoot it three-quarter. Then I'll shoot it full body. So I have all these elements to help me when I edit the image and tell my story.
5: Excellent. That's great. Um, Moving, I guess, more into the creativity side of things, you talked uh, uh, this morning about... Finding creativity. And we actually had an episode a a few shows back where we talked about inspiration and and creativity. We often get questions. People maybe who've been shooting for a while, they say, I get a little burned out. How do you stay creative and stay inspired? Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about your uh, philosophy and thoughts on creativity and inspiration.
6: Inspiration is something that we get all the time. And it's funny because it happens when you get off the computer and you get out and really start enjoying life. You find your inspiration. And... For me, very often it happens early in the morning where I get, I'll get an idea and if I act on it right away, it becomes something else, it becomes greater than, than the idea. But if I sleep on it and let it pass away, it's gone. But I've now started writing down all my ideas that I get in the morning. If I wake up in the morning and I have this crazy idea, I write it down and then I start working on it right away. And I think the most important thing is to, to act on it right away. However crazy it may seem, but to shoot it, no matter what it... I remember how crazy it seems, shoot that idea.
5: Like the, like the butterfly story. I yeah, shot. I was going to ask you about the butterfly story the that you shared this morning. The butterfly story was uh,
6: an idea that came to me by going to this exhibit. Um, and I think when you get out and enjoy life, by, by going to exhibits and plays and just experiencing life to the fullest, be it going to the, go skiing, whatever, you'll be hit by something that, that moves you. And when you find that thing that, that inspires you, you find your joy. And you put that in your images. That butterfly story I showed this morning, I went to this exhibit, and I was in this room that was filled with butterflies. And it inspired me so much that I came back and I called my team. My team is my, my crew that helps me um, develop my images. The team stands for Together each achieves more by calling my team together. They helped me bring my idea to life, and I made this butterfly story that you guys saw this morning.
5: Yeah, those are some and, great uh, images. love you. those images. And are those uh, up on your blog?
6: They are. Oh, they great. Are.
5: And we'll put link them up back again today. Oh, we'll link back to that in the, uh, in the show notes for this Sounds episode. Good. Yeah.
6: yeah, that story came from me going to an exhibit that I didn't want to go to at first, but when I got there, I was so moved by this one room that I had to put it into a story. That's great. And that's how it hits you.
5: And you, you uh, shared that work and it was uh, published in a, was it a photography competition? Tell us a little Actually, bit about that. two different
6: ones. Uh, the first one was in Europe, uh, the Masters Cup, where the image placed and it got a lot of recognition. And from me putting that image in that, that contest, uh, an editor saw it from Zoom Magazine, called me and did a story on me. So after the story happened, they liked the images from my story so much, they called back again and wanted to use me for the cover of the magazine. So then I got a cover of Zoom Magazine and the story on me. So then the magazine comes out, and um, a gallery in Italy sees the magazine story. And they called me, and they want me to have a show in Brescia, Italy. So then I have a show in Brescia, Italy, showing my work. So then next year comes around, and another gallery saw my show a year ago in Brescia, and wants me to have a show in Verona. So all this came from- Just me, rolling. It just, <laughs> keep, it just keeps going, keeps going. Um, I entered another shot from that same story into an exhibit in New York. And when I get to the, to the opening, they used, it was like, it was a group show in New York at this gallery. And When I get to the show, they have the opening image is like a block long in this big gigantic banner and it's my picture from the Butterfly series that they chose as the opening image to the, to the exhibit. Wow. Which I didn't know until I got to the exhibit. I'm like, oh my God. That's my shot. That's my <laughs> shot. So it was a great feeling. And, um, And all that came from me following through on the inspiration I felt by going to that exhibit and seeing this butterfly exhibit. And very often you can talk yourself out of these ideas, like, oh, it's a stupid idea, nobody's gonna get that. And that could have very easily happened from the butterfly story. I'm like, oh, nobody's gonna see this this butterfly, but I did the story, I followed through, and it became bigger than I could have ever dreamed. That's great. And led to so much.
5: Yeah, that's actually... And that's how it happens. Just kept rolling. One, thing leads, one thing, thing leads to another, another thing. One thing leads to another leads to another Yeah. Tell me a little bit about um, how you... I mean, you shoot a lot of celebrities, and uh, how did that all come about? How did you... Who was the first celebrity that you ever photographed? Uh, it's a funny story, because uh, I was shooting
6: a lot of models, and uh, um, not doing celebrities at all, and this magazine called me. They had, they had hired another photographer to shoot yeah. Halle Berry. This is years ago. This is uh, back in the, in the uh, mid-90s. They called um, the photographer, to, they hired the photographer to shoot Halle Berry. And the day before the shoot, he got a big advertising assignment, so he turned the job down for the magazine. So the magazine calls me and says, We want you to shoot this job. Um, it's Halle Berry. We know you don't shoot celebrities, but we know you can do it because we love what you do with models. We love your beauty you light. Like. Um, just do the same thing you do with them. So I shot Halle Berry for my first cover, and I was so nervous. And um, I remember when she walked in the studio, she was beautiful, with no makeup on, she had on jeans, and she was just drop-dead beautiful. And um, I started shooting her. You can't get a bad picture of her. You know, no. She's, yeah. she's, she's, she's incredibly gorgeous. But we had this one shot where we had her up on this platform, and she couldn't get up there. So she just said, Matthew, can you help me get up here? So I had to pick her up, and I had her in my arms, I'm putting her up over there, and they like, that's probably my, the highlight of my life. <laughs> You're like, I've got the best job in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I can do this. I can do this job. It's good work. So it, it was kind of cool. That was my first celebrity. And then after that, the magazine gave me, um, after, the, after Halle Berry, they gave me Vanessa Williams. After Vanessa Williams, they gave me Oprah. And I get started The snowball. People are like, who's this guy who's shooting all these celebrities now? And then one thing led to another. You know, here I am, fifteen years later, still shooting celebrities. That's
5: fantastic. Um, I was reading on your blog recently. You did a shoot. Uh, I don't know if it was recently with uh, Gregory, Gregory Hines. Oh yes, yes and yes.
6: Um, that wasn't recently, but it's uh, one of my favorite shoots. Cause it has a great story behind that.
5: Yeah, tell he us a little bit of the story.
6: Years ago now, but um, um, actually he passed away like in maybe like four or five years ago. Yeah. But uh, that shoot, he walked in, and it's my first time shooting him, and he didn't want to be photographed. He had. Uh, a lot of things on his mind that day and he wanted to come in and be out in like five minutes sure so he walked in and he, he's telling me about uh, working with uh, uh, loving the work of uh, Eric Cantier-Bresson mm-hmm. and he's telling me about how he loves his work and his work ethic and how he walked around Paris shooting with one camera and one lens and he said he should shoot only one roll of film I'm like oh I didn't know about the one roll of film thing he's like yeah we should probably try that today
5: Oh. Like, oh, no. oh, no. This
6: is where he's going with this story. So.
5: And you're shooting digital at this I'm time? Sh- I'm no, I'm shooting film. You're, you're shooting film, bad. okay. i uh, shooting
6: film. And uh, he's looking, he's like, oh, what camera are you shooting? I'm like, oh, I'm using an RZ. And he's like, oh, so you have uh, you know, 12, 15 frames on that? I'm like, well, I'm shooting 220 films. So I have uh, like 29 images on here, uh, 30 images. And he's like, okay. So as he comes out of his uh, grooming session, he starts counting down as I shoot them. And he's giving these poses, which aren't good poses, and his mind's about getting out the door. His agent's standing by the door with his briefcase, and they're ready to be to count down and walk out the door. So he's counting down as I'm shooting him, and I'm trying to talk to him and get his mind off of counting, but it's not working. So then I go back to my research, and I believe in doing research before every shoot.
5: Yeah, that's what I was going to so ask you about. It's sort of it's, leading into yeah, this is a research and getting to know your so clients. so
6: important. So you know who you're shooting and you can use this research to help you get better shots. This is how it saved the day on this day. So we're doing the shot and we're counting down. I'm down to like the last four frames and I have nothing before this, I have nothing. So the last four frames I stopped, I said to Mr. Hines, I'm like, for the last four frames, can you just close your eyes and imagine you're in an elevator tap dancing? And he stops and looks at me and says, how the hell did you know i do that? I had read this little small article where he did this interview, and he was talking about the love of that sound of being in an elevator and tap dancing, and how he'd do it all the time when he was by himself. So he stops, he says, wait a minute. He goes down, takes off his shoes, and closes his eyes, and comes up and gives me this shot like this, with his eyes closed and the hands <laughs> together, with his shoes on his hands. It's a great shot. And it was just magical. But that moment changed the shoot. Because then he stayed for another hour, two hours, and we shot so much stuff and had so much fun. And he forgot totally about walking out the door after like, you know, finishing that one rule of film. Oh, wow. It was just a great day and a great moment. And I know that research definitely saved the day.
5: Yeah, I would imagine when you're doing particularly a lot of um, high-profile celebrities that th- that time is very you know valuable, valuable Absolutely. to them. So, Absolutely. So you would need to, to do your research. What about uh, maybe advice for, for people that are um, going in to photograph somebody, they've they've been given an assignment, mm-hmm. but there's maybe, you know, for somebody who's maybe very well-known or a celebrity, it might be right. easier perhaps to do the research on them and find out stories about them. But what about somebody maybe that's not as a celebrity? How do you approach it when you're working with a client that maybe, you can't go out and Google them and find out more about, you know, about them. How do, you, how do you approach those situations?
6: Now it's easy because Facebook is also a great tool to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find out about people through Facebook. If I'm going to photograph somebody, I'll first go now to their Facebook page oh, and find great. out things about them. So I can know, I can have tools to talk about, about you know, what's going on in their life. Um, their children, their friends, their music tastes, uh, their hobbies. Facebook is a great tool in this way. I find out first if they have a Facebook page, and we go there now, Uh, but then also I find out things that make everybody feel good, the average person. Music is key. Uh, Having the right music, having the right food, having the right, having drinks around, there's things that make people comfortable. Flowers. When I shoot a female celebrity, I always have flowers sent to the studio before the shoot, so when she walks in. The flowers waiting for her for a little note from me saying here's to a great shoot
5: that's a great touch i, I really liked uh, <laughs> i really like that and I, I could see that in all types of photography where you're just sending that that nice thank you that nice that extra touch Absolutely. to a client
6: it breaks the ice it gets them comfortable um it's just all about making people comfortable and, and taking the time to get to know them if you work with somebody who's who's not famous you can call them and just have a small impromptu interview before the shoot It'll make them feel at ease, it'll make you feel at ease, and you'll get better shots.
5: Oh, that's, a, that's a great tip. That's a really good tip. So will you often, um, if you're finding out about somebody on Facebook, will you add them as a friend? If they're, say, if their profile is... I will. Yeah. Absolutely.
6: Absolutely. Because I want to know more about them and find out about them before the shoot. Excellent. You, it's, like, it's a great tool. Yeah.
5: You, you talked a little bit about Twitter. You're a big uh, Twitter proponent Absolutely. now. And, uh, Absolutely. And I've been using Twitter since about 2007 and I, when I first used it I didn't get it either. <laughs> I didn't and, either. And, uh, it really hit where I'm getting a lot of my business through Twitter. Tell us a little bit about your experiences with Twitter. changed
6: so much for me. I started using it as, uh, as a business tool the end of last year and it's made a huge difference. Huge difference. Um, when you learn how to use Twitter effectively Uh, And I'm not using it to say I'm going to Starbucks or I'm on a plane going somewhere. That's a waste of time. I use it only for photo tips um, and advice. That's all I do. So I use Twitter by first using the hashtag symbol and photography, and then giving my little tip or my tricks or advice about photography. That's all I do. But people who are into photography, photographer or not, Read my Twitter page And this leads to work So I had a celebrity Who I'd never photographed before Find me Based on my Twitter page The end of January And want to hire me For a $10,000 job Wow Off of Twitter
5: Yeah It's remarkable and That's how it works The power of it Yeah, for sure um, So And, and t- on Twitter You are Matthew Underscore Jordan S yeah, Correct Excellent. Matthew Underscore Jordan S We'll have a link to that In the, in the show notes As Beautiful. well So Beautiful. people can start To follow you And uh, do you usually follow back people who are following you, or are you pretty selective about who you choose to follow? I'm selective. Yeah, who do you well, follow?
6: Who, who? Um, great photographers like, uh, like Scott Bourne and, and, and Skip Cohen and um, different uh, galleries and people in the photo industry, uh, Photo and Sekonic, and I'll follow those people for sure, and, uh, and people who I have great advice as well.
5: Who do you you look to uh, in today's photography world? Who are some of the photographers that you admire and whose whose work do you really like Mm. looking at? And do you draw inspiration from that?
6: Absolutely. I am always going through photo books and galleries and and museums all the time. Uh, Photographers past and present. Um, In the beginning of my career, I was in love with Ansel Adams' work. And I still am. Uh, I was in love with Irving Penn and uh, Richard Avedon, Uh, I'm still in love with their work. Uh, Even though they're not here anymore, but I love their work. I've learned so much from viewing their work. I went to see an exhibit uh, a year ago in San Diego that showed this amazing body of work that Richard Avedon shot in the 70s, and looking at these gigantic prints, and they're insanely beautiful. He did this story on all these uh, politicians in the 70s. I'm looking at it, you know, now and blown away. I want my work to have that impact long after I'm gone that his his work had on me a year ago
5: yeah there's some great yeah, man, masters out there that i think sometimes get maybe a little bit overlooked particularly by maybe newer photographers uh-huh. nowadays and, and maybe they feel that uh, you know I'm, I'm a firm believer that you can teach a, a new dog old tricks yeah absolutely um, and i absolutely. think looking back and, and learning from some of those masters and uh, is really important so definitely important that's definitely. great definitely.
6: to hear definitely. The new guys as well i mean i mean Stephen and you know uh whomever but um I love the old masters a lot.
5: Yeah, You talked today a little bit of sort of building a business and and things to build your photography business. And you talked about making a a top 10 list. Yes. Talk. Who's on your top 10 list? Yes. Uh, Vanity Fair is
6: my top 10 list. Um, Yeah. I have a lot on my top 10 list. I I believe in dreaming big. Um, I believe that photography is being, will be used in in new mediums that we've never seen before. So my top 10 list is really pushing the envelope. Um, and using photography in ways that has been done before. And that's what I'm pushing to do. And you don't know unless you go out on a limb and try to eat the fruit. And that's what I'm trying to do. So I believe in having a top 10 list where you push yourself to get clients that may seem impossible, but you never know unless you try. And that's my goal every day.
5: So somebody may be just starting out, new to new to the photography mm-hmm. world, um, you know, Vanity Fair might be a bit of a stretch for them. Yes, um, yes. What would? But where would you where would you start if you were just starting? If you were just starting today, and, and if I just started
6: picking today, up the camera I'd, for the first time, I'd what? find ten magazines I want to shoot for. I write those ten magazines down, so I look at them every day, and little by little I make my plan to get to know those magazines. First thing I do is buy each of those magazines and I'd read them every month so I know the voice of the magazine. I want to know who the photo editor is on each of those 10 magazines because that's who you want to contact, the photo editor for each of those magazines. I will write my, my top 10 list, say, those magazines, along with the photo editor and his name. Um, you can very easily find their email. All this information is in the masthead of the magazine. And then you put go to work in making your favorite print Make one small 5x7 print of your favorite image, you send that image to each of those editors at those 10 magazines. That's your beginning.
5: Get the foot in the door get the and get your door. name out there and, and start to get known. Where do you think, that industry is, is heading. There's a lot of talk in the news and the media about kind of the death of the publishing industry and the death of newspapers and magazines. Yes. Do, you, do you see that happening out there or do you think that's maybe a bit overblown or?
6: I think there's always be the, the love of the tangible for sure um, but there's an evolution going on and we're in the midst of a lot of change. There might be another variation of magazines where if they go online they'll still need content the still need photography, whether it's a tangible form of a magazine or on an iPad or another device like that. Whatever happens, they'll always need photography. So whatever happens, you seem to get your foot in the door and embrace the new technology that's coming out, whatever that is, and be ready for it.
5: That's great. Where do you see your career going in the next Five years. Where, uh, do you, where, where do you see uh, you, Matthew uh, Jordan Smith in five years from now? Hopefully, having
6: my my uh, my top ten list come to life. Yeah, and
5: uh, and
6: taking photography to a new place. I, I want to push the boundaries with the, the still image. I love still images. I know a lot of people are shooting video now because they mm-hmm. have uh, all these great cameras that I can. But I'm in love with the still image, and I want to push the boundaries with the still image and I'm I'm working on a project now, I've been working for five years and I'm really looking forward to getting it out there and showing it to the world in a new way. That would be great.
5: You're also doing, obviously, instructing and teaching. Have have you been doing that for, how many years have you been sort of teaching and instructing?
6: I guess that's funny because I never knew I could do this. Uh, I've been speaking now maybe four years, I guess, Um, and I was the guy who was petrified to speak in front of crowds. and it, it, just, it just happened. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. So my, my first speaking gig came from, uh, this is before I started speaking like this, uh, doing classes. I had to do a, a, a book signing for my first book. And I had to speak to a group of people in the middle of, of New York City, midtown Manhattan. And first book signing, and I'm unknown of course, so it's like 15 people who show up for the book signing. But I'm petrified, because i petrified to speak in front of people. And I get there, setting up, I can't eat or anything all day long, can't drink anything all day long, just petrified to speak in front of these people. I'm trying to memorize what I to say, but when I go out there and speak, anything I've memorized is gone. I can't remember a thing. <laughs> so as I'm getting ready to speak, the, the, or I start speaking and the room gets dark and, um, all of a sudden, the sound disappears. And the next thing I know, I'm looking up and I fainted. I fainted oh wow! Uh, and I'm looking up and people looking over me and I ask, "Are you okay? Are you all right?" And and ever since minutes. then, I've been fine. So now I can speak to a room of five thousand people. It doesn't affect me at all. And you say you
5: haven't fainted at any recent no. recent appearances. That's
6: <laughs> that's a great story. It broke the spell. I'm not sure what happened, but ever since that moment, I've been fine. Oh, that's great. Um, who's your favorite person to photograph? Oh, favorite person to photograph. That changes every week. Um, because I love the art form of photography, um, it's never a person, it's just the person I have that's going to be the challenge for the moment. Um, and that's
5: always evolving each and every week. Have you ever had an embarrassing moment in oh, photography? Absolutely. What's your most embarrassing moment? your most embarrassing most moment.
6: Embarrassing moment. Well, probably I fainted when I was going to yeah. speak. That's probably the most embarrassing of, of everything, because uh, that was pretty that was damn embarrassing. But uh, it's so funny because it led to so much. Uh, besides that, what's been an embarrassing moment in photography? I got to think back for that one. I'm not really sure. <laughs> That's always a tough <laughs> question. I put you on the spot. There's been a lot of so, them for sure. I can yeah. tell you
5: that. I'm sure it's been a lot. Yeah. right on. Um, Maybe just kinda wrap it up. He's got one. Alright,
6: perfect. he got one for you. So I'm, this is uh, happened last year. I'm shooting uh, <laughs> a story for L Magazine, and uh, we're shooting I'm shooting Pete Wentz and his fashion line. Um, Pete Wentz with Fallout Boy. Okay. Uh, the band Fallout Boy. So when I got the assignment, I wasn't aware of Pete Wentz and his and his uh, his band. Uh, but he has a big following, of course. So I'm blogging about the shoot, so I'm sh- showing pictures from the shoot. Of, you know, me shooting Pete Wentz in New York, shooting his fashion line in L.A. And by mistake, I call the boy. I call the band, Sellout Boy. Oh no! <sighs> it caused a firestorm on my blog, oh, man. and it, I got like you know 10,000 hits in a couple of hours, and. Uh, I get an email from Pete Wentz. He's like, "Yo, dude, what's up?" <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, "I'm sorry, man. It was it was definitely a mistake." And so then he goes on on Twitter and his Twitter, and he's like, "said Oh no, I know this guy. He's a very cool guy. You know, this was a mistake, and you guys just chill this out." Is and, damn, you
5: autocorrect exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's yeah. I can see that being an yeah, was, was embarrassing that was situation. That was embarrassing. Yeah. But it, was, it was a totally honest
6: mistake, oh. and and. Uh, but funny in a, in a weird way. Yeah,
5: it's great. Well, before I let you go, is there any um, any things coming up that uh, maybe our Twip audience would uh, be interested in? Any workshops coming up? Or are there any places they can go to learn more about uh, Matthew Jordan Smith? And I know you've got some, some books published and you've got yes, some online resources.
6: Yes, um, I have a store that started at the beginning of this year. Yeah. Um, I was doing a lot of seminars last year and my agent got mad because he's like, okay, you're doing too much uh Seminars that you need to be working on, constantly on shooting more. So, I put all my seminars online through my videos. So, I have these downloadable videos that are very inexpensive. They're only $12.95 um, and they're chock full of information to help everybody in photography. Uh, for example, one of them is called 10 Ways to Use One Light Source, another one's called 10 Ways to Use Natural Light, uh, another one's 10 Ways to Photograph Women. Um, I have all these videos online, and the gallery store is called gallery.matthewjordansmith.com.
5: Oh, perfect. We'll put a link to that as well in the show notes for this episode, so people hopefully will pop over there and uh, check out your products. Beautiful. For sure, yeah, that would be great. Well, any last uh, words of wisdom uh, that you want to share with us?
6: I think the most important thing as a photographer is not to think about shooting work that will lead to work. You should only think about shooting work that you love. When you shoot what you love, the work comes. You can't try to figure out what people will want to hire you from. It works the other way around. You have to work, you have to concentrate on shooting what you love, and then the work comes. What do you love? What's what's your Mm. biggest passion? Mm. I love making people look beautiful
5: and feel like they're having a great time. I love that. And capturing that moment, that's what I love doing. You do a fantastic job of it, so many of your images just have such a happy feeling about them and they look Thanks. clients look like they're enjoying themselves and having a, a great time. So that's fantastic. Matthew, I really appreciate you taking the time to, pleasure, uh, pleasure uh, to uh, talk to the, this, today. this week in photo audience. And uh, again, if you want to learn more about Matthew Jordan Smith, you can head on over to his uh, blog, it's probably Absolutely. the best place to keep up with what's happening. And Definitely. that's at Matthew matthewjordansmith.blogspot.com. Perfect. And uh, also follow Matthew on Twitter. He's at Matthew underscore Jordan S for all kinds of great photography news and tips and uh, if you're looking for me it's i'm at bruce clark on twitter and we'll talk to you next time thanks thank you that was bruce
2: clark interviewing mr matthew jordan smith and for more about mr smith be sure to check out the links in the show notes and uh click through and check out his work
0: uh, uh, hey frederick before yeah. we go on i just i just want to give a shout out to matthew because yeah go for it because i i know him and i think uh Photographers out there that that haven't looked at his work, uh, you should. He he has a way of working with people that he really. Uh, when he, he when he takes a shot of somebody, he he gets them, and uh, he's a truly nice guy, and he's a great ambassador he shoots uh Sony. He's one of the he's one of the the key photographers that Sony has uh picked, you know. So when you go to trade shows like if you go to Photo Plus uh this fall or one of those big trade shows where Sony is showing, you can you can see Matthew and meet him because he's uh, almost always speaking in the Sony booth and it's really worth your time. He he is a a a good guy.
2: Very cool. Yeah, I hope to yeah. meet him one day. Maybe we'll see if we can Convince him to come on the show as a co-host.
0: Isn't oh, he'd great. be great. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to have him on the show. Awesome.
2: All right, guys. Uh, hey, Alex, we've got another sponsor coming up. Who's, uh, who's the other sponsor of This Week in Photo?
1: So our other sponsor is, um, is Hover.com. And Hover.com, of course, is just an easy, easy way to get your URL, uh, You know that URL that you've been thinking about. And you want to register it? Uh, this is the place to do it. Uh, one of the things that, I, as many of us, uh, I think all of us here on the show have had uh, many experiences, um, you know, getting our URL and um, in surviving what I tend to call the gauntlet, you know, which is the, uh, you know, when you start to actually uh, go into the process of signing up, there's like, well, would you like this? And would you like that? And would you like that? And and, and we can have eggs with that, and we can have, do you want a mimosa? Do you want, you know, and and you're like, all I want is a domain. You know, all I want is just, I just want to register my domain. Um, and it could take like 50 clicks to, to put that together. So instead of barraging you with all that, what Hover does is it focuses on not a ton of services. It focuses on making it easy to register and maintain domains and email. That's what they do. That's all they do. Uh, so you don't have to worry about being tra- them trying to constantly upsell you uh, on something else. Now, they also, this is pretty cool, they have a no-hold policy. So um, they're, they're, they're a bit old-fashioned this way. Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern, when you call, you'll get a a live person. I know that sounds crazy. You know, the, the, So it used to be that when you called on the phone, when you called a company, you could talk to somebody. I know that, Yeah, for all of you, this sounds probably just <laughs> like an insane concept, that there wouldn't be any buttons to push and there wouldn't be any, um, You know, there wouldn't be some kind of automated person trying to, trying to figure out what you're saying and where you're trying to go. There's actually a person that you can talk to. So that's what they have there. Um, so they really uh, focus on making sure that you're going to get the kind of, uh, you know, when you need to figure out how to do something with your website, they can help you. They can wa- walk you through it. They can help you, of course, set up email addresses, forward email addresses, redirect your domains to other website addresses, create URL extensions, set privacy controls, all with fewer clicks because you're not, they're not trying to upsell you on everything. So anyway, uh, definitely check this out. You can get 10% off if you use TWIP as, a, uh, as your offer code. And, of course, go to hover.com.t, uh, twip. Or actually, or, Hover.com slash TWIP. So it's H-O-V-E-R dot com slash T-W-I-P. And if you then decide this is something you want to do, you can get 10% off by using, of course, TWIP as your coupon code. So definitely check it out. Hover.com slash TWIP. Awesome.
2: All right. Uh, it's time for some listener Q&A. Every week, our producers scour the TWIP forums at thisweekinfoto.com slash forum to find the best questions for us to answer on the show. And this week's questions are pretty interesting. Number one, I'm going to throw this one to uh, Richard first um, and Alex. And this is about backup solutions during long travel. Hey, uh, Richard, you want to you want to take this one?
3: Sure, Um, there's lots of different approaches. I mean, it it sort of depends on you know how much you're going to be going through each day, but um, and how paranoid you are. Mm -hmm. So, I um, my personal one, like when I when I go on a trip, I actually tend to bring two laptops um, if I can. One of them is just an old MacBook Air, but that's you know small, a few pounds, robust enough to run a DVD burner. And uh, what I tend to do is I still will shoot on cards. Um, back them up to multiple drives using a disk cloning utility. And so I'll have you know two different type of USB drives uh, that are bus-powered, easy to run, and I'll, I'll do a double clone. And then if I'm really feeling paranoid or I'm going to be out for a long time, like if I'm traveling abroad, then I'll usually start burning things to optical disk as well. And then I'll usually drop one of those USB drives either into the mail like FedEx uh, on the way back or give it off to a colleague uh, to carry back, so they're not going all on the same plane.
2: Yeah, and now Alex, I know you you are pretty fanatical about backing stuff up. In fact, I've quoted you on several occasions saying that you you pretty much say if it doesn't exist in three places, it doesn't exist. Is that
1: right? That, that's pretty much how I how I approach it. <laughs> so uh, a lot of times when I'm when I'm doing these kind of uh, shoots, and it really depends on how much data he's going through, but uh, my typical way of handling this is that, uh, and on the road sometimes it's hard to get to three places and sometimes it's only two, uh, but I'll typically have, I'll get two brand new drives. Um, it's typically, uh, for any kind of long trip, I'm going to get two brand new drives. I'm not going to reuse any drives. They're going to be identical drives. Uh, uh, it depends on you know what you use. Uh, all depends on, I think that in the, by the summer I'll be getting a, uh, um, uh, I'll be getting, of course, Thunderbolt drives, mm. you know, um, well, they, I, I, uh, I went to Sonnet and saw they have a, a CF card reader that they're building for Thunderbolt Drive. For, Thunderbolt.
2: What, what are, for folks that may not know what that is, what's, what's a Thunderbolt okay. Drive and why is so, it important?
1: So Thunderbolt, it's magical. It's magical. <laughs> it is. So Thunderbolt is the new connect, uh, connection to the Macs, and it'll be available on PCs later this year. Um, and what it is is it's a 10 gigabit per second pipe. Um, that you can stack stuff onto it. And you start you know, thinking about what's possible there. Uh, and for video, it's obviously a huge deal for us. But uh, one of the things that I saw that just kind of blew my mind at, at NAB was a CF card reader that had four CF slots um, into a Thunderbolt connection. Now, they have one right now, I think, that has two CF slots into a into an Express card, but you needed then a big laptop. But imagine being able to connect... Four CF cards at one time, and if, if you're a wedding photographer, or you're shooting at an event, and you go through a lot of data, you can see how this would be useful. And um, it will be able to pull from to another Thunder. You can have in the chain. You can have another Thunderbolt drive, and you'll be able to pull all of those CF cards at the speed that the CF cards can read. I mean, so if you have a 60 megabyte per second CF card or a 30 megabyte per second, it'll pull all of them all. If you have four of them, 120 megabytes a second, it'll pull them all off and put them onto the drive. So, you know, you don't have to, you know, I I don't know how many times you guys have been in my situation. You come back from a shoot and you've got eight CF cards Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's going to be an hour or two (laughs) of of, uh, of transfer to get them all off. Imagine being able to put four at a time in and pulling them off as fast as one would pull off, uh, and generally faster because this, this is going to be a faster connection than your typically than your firewire or um, I mean effectively than your than your firewire or your USB. So anyway, the point is is that that fast stuff makes it a lot easier. But the, the bottom line is is that you know I usually carry these these, these drives. I, I generally don't want them to have if I'm traveling. I don't want them to require an external power source. So. They're always bus powered because I just don't know wh- whether, you know, what my power situation is going to be. Um, and so um, and then I have one of them is my art is my uh, my library for aperture. And the other one is the vault. And so what I do is I put everything onto the on the library and then I vault it every night. And so I have two two different drives that are that have all the same data. A lot
3: of people don't realize with the new Aperture, you can make multiple libraries. So you can have a library just for a project, and you can export things out of your existing library into a sub-library. Right. So you can get a lot smaller. You don't have to think of your library
1: as one library, and you can do a similar thing with Lightroom too. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: Right. And so, so I will. uh, And a lot of times when I'm traveling, I just start with a new Aperture on my on my computer, and then I. Uh, and then I merge that later into the into the uh mothership you know when I get home and yeah. so uh which works fine because it keeps all your metadata does all that other fun stuff so so anyway so the um the other thing that i 'm starting to get into is now posting to the cloud so the, in a lot of countries now we 're seeing faster and faster bandwidth and and uh um, and uh we 're you know being able i take I, I right now what I do is I take my selects, so all the things that you know I finish shooting, and these are the things that I absolutely want to make sure I have. And that's where I find, try to find bandwidth. And I have partners all over the world that we work with that I, I can usually get a hold of bandwidth. So my situation might be a little bit different. Well, um, he was
3: asking, the, the reader was asking about using things like a satellite modem. And, and I could just tell you, like, you know, uh, going through yeah, 50 megabytes while I was abroad on my iPhone and then getting a bill for $400. It's like, you know, you're, unless you're talking about like maybe one or two JPEGs, you, you're not going to be wanting to look at that as an option unless yeah. you can find a local connection where you're not paying
1: for the internet access. That's the whole thing is that what a lot of times there are, um, you know, bandwidth is getting uh, more affordable and many of these are, if you're a charity organization, it might help you to uh, do a little pre-flight and find people who might be interested in what you're doing there uh, who might have access to, um, you know, faster bandwidth. A lot of times, you know, you you talk to the right people, have dinner with the right people and you end up having a connection to a fiber or to, uh, you know, a T1 uplink or to all kinds of other things where people aren't really using it. They're paying for it. They're not really using it fully or you can use it overnight. Um, and then what I do is I tend to move all my selects. So the stuff that I just absolutely have to keep, um, you know, I move up into the, into the cloud and, um, and so the other stuff is stuff I don't want to lose, uh, but I, um, but I try to I try to figure it. I try to get it into the cloud. Um, the, the stuff that I absolutely, if I if I lost that, the trip would be worthless. <laughs> yeah, we'll, so, we'll, do,
3: we'll do we'll do prepaid uh, shipping envelopes like FedEx envelopes, and just buy a bunch of cheap uh, USB thumb drives as yep. like an extra level of security. Like those are much less expensive than SD memory cards or CF cards, and you can mirror data to that. Drop them in a padded envelope and. You know, those things could practically get stomped on and be fine. That's a great well, idea.
1: The yeah. other thing that we've done in, in the past is similar. Similar, we haven't. We we were using drives because they were. This was a, a, quite a while ago when the, the when the USB sticks weren't quite as uh, big. But one of the things that we would do is we would send all that stuff back via FedEx, and then we would keep the cards. We actually had three copies, two drives, and the cards. We keep the cards until we had confirmation on the other side that they had been. That the uh, data had been um, assimilated, you know, into the into the into the library, um, and that would happen, you know, in a day or two. And we just had enough cards to kind of last us for a couple of days, and um, and that worked out really well. I, again, it may sa- all of this may sound like you're like we're going a bit overboard, um, but there's no real- such thing as paranoid when it comes to your data. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just it's just that this is the this is why you're there, and, and the only thing you care about, you know, um, on the way down, I care about all my gear, and on the way back, all I care about is the storage.
2: Now, Derek. You know, like, Derek you know, Story. What about you? Like, what's, what's your what's your backup sort of flow for for especially when you're traveling? Say you're on a you know a trip somewhere that's far away. What do you do?
0: It's it's pretty much what they're talking about. I I do two hard drives and uh, try to hang on to the cards as long as i can you know in other words I, I have pretty good stash of cards too so i don't erase them right away and i just consider them you know uh, another form of backup
1: you know uh, one thing we, we were just having a, i just want to uh, just mm-hmm. note something that derek said there is that one thing that we, we we really train our guys to do and we just had an issue with this recently yep. <laughs> um that mr is that we do not delete on site so when we're doing a shoot yeah. We do not delete on site. We make sure we have enough cards to last the entire shoot because you're just not in the right mindset to make sure that you didn't delete something. You want to do that in a, unless you have someone hired and their only job is a data wrangler. If you're shooting, you know, back everything up on site, but don't delete anything because you'll delete, you will you, you really run into the thing of thinking you got it and not getting it.
0: I don't, I don't delete on site either. I, you know, I, I have enough cards to, to do that. And uh, I, I don't mail anything back, although I, I love that idea.
3: Very cool. I, when I'm putting cards back in the case, I flip them upside down, yep. and a lot of people don't notice that a lot of the SD cards actually have lock switches on them, which is sort of a benefit of the SD card format. I mean, I still have a lot of cameras that just shoot CF, but my newer Nikon is two SD cards, and you know, lock that. It's like the old days of the floppy disks, but flip that switch, put the card in upside down in your case, it's like, oh, that one's used, don't touch it.
1: You know, and it's funny, you think that you're, You know, I thought was, I was being very creative by putting them all in upside down in my little Pelican. Pelican makes these little, these little uh, watertight cases for your CF cards, and I have a whole bunch of these. And I put all, and you think you're, you're being very creative, like, oh, I figured out a good thing. And then every person I know does exactly the same thing. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, it, <laughs> yeah, it's you pretty think, standard. <laughs> yeah, that, that means full. And then when we put them face back up, that means that they're empty again. <laughs>
2: yeah. oh, I'm even, I'm even wedding wedding photographers are rolling their eyes. They're like, yeah, we've been doing that for years, man. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> I, 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 I'm even more paranoid, Alex. I have two, two of those cases and so the cards start off in my right pocket and those are the ones that are right to shoot and then when they move to my left pocket they should be left alone because i just don't trust myself
2: awesome (laughs) left alone i like that 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 might be the uh, title of this episode (laughs) all right uh let's move on to question number two uh this is about mounting large prints derek you want to you want to read this and uh, give us your response
4: Yeah,
0: so uh, can anyone offer any advice on mounting larger prints? I've shot a nice panel, and I'm thinking of having it printed large, perhaps as wide as 60 inches. And so he's explored, uh, it looks like he's done a little research already. He heard that canvas prints are a good option, but he doesn't want to go that route because, and I think this is a key phrase that he says at the end here, he wants to preserve as much sharpness as possible. So, so where would you have to stand to see that 60 inch print as opposed <laughs> to the sharpness that you're going to see yeah well you know that you know we, we always talk about you know that viewing distance versus size and and all that all that sort of stuff but uh, you know I think it looks like he's done a little research here I, I'm just gonna throw one more thing into uh, one more on to the Barbie here and these are guys that I actually work with on the digital story and they're they're called sizzle picks and uh Sizzlpix, and what they do is uh, they start with polished aluminum, and uh, they have this this process that they do where the image is sort of infused on the uh, on the uh, polished aluminum, and then they put a, a coating over it. And uh, they can go up to 60 inches uh, on you know on these things, and uh, and they they're custom so that you know so let's say you're 60 inches wide and whatever let's say. 20 inches tall or whatever it happens to be, it will be that size, and it comes with a mounting bracket and everything. And I tell you, these things do preserve sharpness. So if if he's really into uh, having that intense uh, color and having it be as sharp as possible, uh, I would I would look at them. I I have a few hanging up uh, on the wall here in the studio, and uh, they're pretty cool. They're not they're not cheap though, and uh, so if for like a 45 inch uh image uh you know longest side 45 inch it's about 700 bucks so it's uh Jeez. it's not a, not not a cheap way to go but it's uh and, and you can hang them anywhere right because you just wipe them off with a cloth and you know they're uh you know suddenly everything is just this uh piece of aluminum that uh, has your image on it so but so take a look at that in addition to the other stuff that you're looking at and uh you, you know you never know it might be uh This one image might be the right image to do something a little above and beyond. Awesome. All
2: right, guys. Uh, We are at the pick of the week time. This is where each guest gives their pick, and this can be a piece of software, hardware, gear, a workshop, whatever, as long as it's photography-related. And I'm going to throw it to Alex first because I think he has to giddy up and and drop off the show. Alex, uh, what's your pick before you take off?
1: So my pick is um, Red Giant's new software Noir, uh, which is for the iPhone. I don't know if you guys have seen this before, but it's um, it's pretty cool. So if you're taking photos with your iPhone, which is totally reasonable. You know, we, we have bigger cameras, but it's, you know this is the camera you oftentimes have. And you want to do some of the kind of the cool looks that you've seen with a lot of Red Giant software. Um, you know, they of course, they have, you know, it started with Stu Maschwitz, um film looks uh, or Magic Bullet, And, and um, they have this great thing called Noir, which is basically, uh, they just released it last week. And it basically lets you add little vignettes and, and have a lot of really um, cool custom control to the vignettes, to the exposure, to the contrast, um, and it's just a uh, just a really fun little application um, to uh, you know just, just kind of really add more uh, you know just add more character to your. Um, it, it, there's a lot of applications to do this, but this one's kind of feels. You just have a lot more. It's not just like I just push a button and it looks this way you have lots of little controls that you can actually um, adjust. And you know, it's, it's an iPhone app, so it's like two ninety nine. dollars 99 So um, definitely a lot of fun to play with. Um, and you really start seeing how far a lot of these iPhone apps uh, can go. So anyway, Noir from uh, Red Giant Software. You can get it on the iTunes uh, Music Store.
4: Very
2: cool. All right, Alex, thanks a lot Hi. for that. And you got a you mosey, right?
1: I got to go to the studio, we got meetings.
2: All right, cool, thanks, man. All right, thanks. Yep. Bye. All right, Richard Harrington, what is your uh, pick of the week? Do I have to limit it to one? You No. Uh, you know what? You can go for two. Since it's been so long since you've been on the show, I'll give you two. <laughs>
3: okay. <laughs> I felt bad because one of them was expensive. The, uh, <laughs> the expensive one is a new tripod head I saw at NAB from Manfrotto. It's got this really long name, but if you just search for Manfrotto m8 hyphen q5 it's this uh tripod head that sort of does both photo and video modes it works for panoramic it can tilt it can go to 90 degrees you can flip it into video mode and you got a nice fluid head video style tripod with resistance and then flip it to photo mode and it works great for panoramic it's got all the the degree marks on it and leveling multiple ball levels so it's really kind of cool uh, I, I'm annoyed because I just brought a new head and I'm turning around and buying one a week later after I saw this, but uh, it's about 390 It's a little bit back-ordered because they just announced it, but it's pretty cool. And then um, the flip side of that, I uh, hate to do another iPhone app, but I was just shown this yesterday and I love it, and you probably already are using it. An app called ClearCam which uh, allows you – it has two modes, and it lets you actually like manually set by tapping on the screen what you want exposed. You tap the button, and it fires off four shots in burst mode on the iPhone. Then it analyzes all four shots and tells you which one is the clearest. Like It looks for motion blur and everything else, so it lets you shoot in burst mode on the iPhone. And, it, you know, and it, it fires up quicker than the camera app. It launches quicker than the camera app. And then they got like an enhanced mode that'll actually do not quite an HDR, but it'll merge exposures together um, or even upsample. Like if you take five pictures and they're all clear, it merges them together and uses pixel scaling to basically give you a higher res image because it combines the pixels from the different prints together. So it's kind of cool. And it's like $2. Wow. So, what's, what's it
2: called again? What's the name of it?
3: You're going to go download it now, aren't you? It's called Uh,
4: (laughs) ClearCam.
3: C L E A R C A M. And uh, it was shown to be by my friend Abba Shapiro, and it's just awesome.
2: Very cool. All right. Look, two for the price of one. Derek Story, what is your pick of the week?
0: So I've been working on a review for MacWorld Magazine with the T3I, the new Canon T3I, which is a very nice camera uh, body, by the way. But it, that's not the pick of the week. Uh, first time I ever tried the kit lens on it, the uh, eighteen to one thirty-five. Canon uh, kit lens. Most of the time when we test the cameras, we get the standard sort of 18 to 55 lens. So this is the first time I've had this, this longer lens. And the thing about it is that it gives you a, a much longer range. Uh, you It goes to, I think the equivalent is like 206 millimeters uh, on the long end. So you basically have a 29 to 206 millimeter uh, kit lens. It has uh, image stabilization. Uh, the front Uh, doesn't rotate. So if you use a polarizer, that's very nice. The front element doesn't rotate. And if you buy it as a kit uh, lens, you can get it for like $250. If you buy it separately, it's about $550. So the the reason why I bring it up, if you're thinking about getting a, a new 60D or a new T3 or a new T3i, and uh, you don't have an extensive lens collection already, uh, I've been shooting with this lens for about a month, and, and I really like it. It's it's light. It's balanced on the camera. It has a, a good performance. And uh, it's I think it's a steal at $250. It's a really good lens.
2: Very cool. All right. And we'll uh, we'll stick a link to that in the show notes. And my pick is um, kind of tanden- tangentially photography related. It is my business card. So a lot of people ask me where I got my business cards printed. And they are uh, their letterpress business cards. And I went to this place called Dulce Press out of New York City, and basically uploaded them to them in, in Illustrator file. And they sent me back some really Cool looking business cards. So they are, uh, they're, they're reasonably expensive, though letterpress cards are, they're reasonably inexpensive, though letterpress cards are expensive in general. I think these things cost me just shy of a dollar a piece or something, something like that. But they make an impression when you hand them out as a photographer, yeah. especially, because it's like first impressions. You give them this thing and it's not a business card that they're going to feel like they want to throw away. So, um, I would definitely check them out. I'll put a link to them in the show notes and, uh, yeah, definitely check them out. Dulce Press for letterpress type things. They also do all kinds of crazy things like invitations and all that stuff. But uh, the uh, the business cards are what drew me to them.
0: Do you, Do you ever find yourself, Frederick? Now that you're usually those going ah, you know how to get a hold of me. You don't need one of my cards. <laughs> I, just, know, I actually the have a selected. I don't have one of those cards.
2: <laughs> I have three tiers. I have three <laughs> tiers of cards. So I have that card that you know that you see in that photo, and then I have one that's not quite that nice, but looks the same. <laughs> <laughs> that's much less expensive than I hand out. And then I just say, you know, hey, you can find me on Twitter.
4: <laughs>
3: there is one more level, and I actually have this card, and I shouldn't admit this. It's called the trade show card, and it doesn't have your email or your cell phone number on it. Oh. It just has the office number and the website.
2: Nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah, that's what you need. Or a blank one. You know, I was saying <laughs> you just need a blank one with your logo on it, and then you write your contact information, you know, on it, depending on the person you're giving it to. So,
1: But, you know,
2: yeah, that's how that rolls. That's how that rolls. (laughs) And on that note, we are at the end of another fantastic This Week in Photo. Uh, Mr. Derek Story, where can people find you?
0: Uh, Look me up at thedigitalstory.com. And that's everything flows through there. And I just want to mention, Frederick, you're always nice You let me mention this, that uh, our next big workshop. That isn't full, uh, that we're just putting together. It's going to be October 15th and 16th. And we're doing something special for this one. And uh, it's it's going to be fantastic. So if you if you want to do this, uh, if you're interested in it, just uh, write me at Derek, D E R R I C K, at the digital com And I'll get you on the reserve list. They, they usually don't go public. So you usually have to get on the reserve list. Cool. But, and the uh, only I, way I, to get
2: on that list is to email you, or are there links on the digital story? No, you,
0: ha- you have to email me because the The site has too much traffic, and so then uh, you know it, it doesn't work that way. So yeah. just uh, send me emails; the only way you can get on. Wow. So it's for Twip listeners and Digital Story listeners. We keep it very, keep it very much in the family right now.
2: Very cool, awesome. Thanks, Derek. And Mr. Richard Harrington, where are you at online?
3: Sure. Uh, well, a couple of places. The uh, the company's Redpixel Red r h e d p i x e l dot com, and uh, you can use Redpixel on Twitter. Um, I have a personal blog, which is the lamely named Richard Harrington blog, but it was the only thing available. And uh, I actually just launched a new website uh, called Triple Exposure. Uh, that I'm doing with Mr. Bourne on uh, time lapse, HDR, and panoramics, and cool. uh, which are the three areas that I love about photography. And we just started sharing our news and information. So that's at threeexposure.com, uh, the number three, and then exposure.com, and that just launched this week. There'll be new podcasts, and there's already some video tutorials up there.
2: And aren't you doing an aperture podcast or something with uh, with Travel Junkie, Joseph Flanowski?
3: Yeah, I, I thought mentioning four places would be too much, but thank you for doing that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, if I if my interests weren't diverse enough, uh, as you picked up on the show, it seemed to be like everybody on the show today used Aperture except for you, so uh, maybe it's a trend, or maybe who knows. But uh, yeah, uh, Joseph and I have been doing some Aperture shows. He's been really good and has been doing new stuff. I've been finishing up a book, but I've got a stack of images sitting here waiting for processing, and uh, what I've started doing more and more, i, I call them triage. Anytime time I find an image, they go, oh, I like this photo, but I don't like how it turned out. Well, let me fix it. I finally figured out that I should just start recording the screen. So I call those triage episodes, and I basically take an image that would have been a great image, and I try to save it, and I, I show how I did it.
2: Very cool. All right. Rescue. All right. And if you're looking for Alex Lindsay, who had to drop off the show, you can find him at twitter.com slash... Alex Lindsay, and to keep up with everything in the Twip universe, just head over to thisweekinfoto.com. There you'll find links to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter page, and more. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com or follow me on Twitter at twittercom Van. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off.
3: This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. The show's content contributor is Eric Horton.